right, we're doing something fun today, going to mix it up a little bit. For those of you who have been around here for a while, you would know well and truly about the relaxed running membership that we have. Uh, this is a little treat, a little insight, a little glance behind the curtain of what the actual membership is. Though it is only a glance, this is going to take you to the bonus podcast episodes of the Relax Running Membership. So we have two to three bonus podcasts coming out every month with Olympic athletes and elite sports uh, physiotherapists and exercise physiologists and uh, a constantly growing video library of practical uh, tools and workouts that you'll be able to put into your weekly training routine to make sure you're activating lazy muscles and doing your best to reduce injuries. And it also just saves you a heap of time uh, when it comes to, to training and trying to figure out how to structure it by hearing from people who are actually doing it. So it's designed for people of, of all levels. I've had a few people contact me saying, oh, I'm only quite new to running. I'm not sure whether it's helpful. And it's designed for you. It doesn't matter which level you're running at. You're going to find some valuable tools here. So at the moment, the, the bonus podcast library, uh, which you'll get access to as a member, has eight videos, sorry, eight podcasts on there, which is constantly growing. Um, and if you get on board, the first 100 members are going to have access to absolutely everything for only five bucks a month, no matter how much the price has increased, no matter how much content we have up there. So if you want to jump on board, you can do that at relaxrunning.com slash join. So today I've given you a highlight or a little sneak peek into five of... I was going to say my favorite podcast. They're all they're all unreal. The bonus podcast, but these are these are five big names that you might like to hear a little bit more from. It starts off with Ryan Gregson, who, for those of you who aren't Australian, is the Australian fifteen hundred meter record holder. Then we jump across to the marathon with Brett Robinson, who's also just smashed the Australian half marathon record. He's a fifty nine minute half marathon runner, which is which is disgusting to say. It's an incredibly fast time. We've got exercise physiologist John Quinn, who is highly regarded in his field and regularly appear on, appears on sports shows around Australian radio and on the media. For you Aussies, he's uh, he was a head fitness coach at the Bombers from 1998 to 2008 with Kevin Sheedy as the head coach. And for the last five years, he's worked up with the GWS Giants. Uh, we then jump into a little bit more with marathon runner, 210 marathon runner, Liam Adams, who has a ridiculous story around his, uh, his, his training. Uh, what do you say? Uh, the amount that he trains and the amount that he works. It's inspirational for any of you who are trying to work a full-time job and train as much as you can as well. Then we close it out with a, a good mate of mine. Dave McNeil. So they're, they're all just a little sneak peek into uh, 30 to an hour and a half conversations which are available to you immediately once you become a member. So again, that's relaxrunning.com slash join to, make, uh, to take advantage of the five bucks a month forever offer if you're one of the first hundred to sign up. So make sure you jump on board because it's filling up quickly. Anyway, let me get out of your way and kickstart this bonus sneak peek little podcast with Australia's 1,500-metre record holder, Ryan Gregson. Yeah, exactly. So I was I was having a chat with him last night and he's been a physio now for the last 10 years and one of the big things that came out of the conversation with him that he reckons a lot of athletes are just completely unaware of is that as a distance runner or a middle distance runner, 
it's not just all about running. In fact, if you're just doing all running, like you said, and ignoring the strength exercises and some of those activation exercises, then it's sort of like a shortcut to towards an injury. But I still think it, it catches a lot of runners by surprise. And I was even saying, man, like I, I ran competitively till the age of 24. And uh, and when I was competing, uh, whether it was just, a, you know, I, I wasn't speaking to the right people or not paying enough attention, but I had such a little amount of work in the gym that if I went back, that'd be one of the biggest things I would change. I'll do a couple of sit-ups and push-ups here and there, but if you had seen me in the gym doing squats and deadlifts or, or whatever, you would have been, it would have been the most embarrassing sight because I wouldn't have known <laughs> what I was doing. But um, you mentioned that that's a almost daily part of your routine now, is it, man? Like, what does the strength component of your training look like? Um, I, lift, I lift weights a couple of times a week, and you know, right now I can't lift too heavy just because I don't have the equipment. But, you know, for instance, I, I was just in the – did, did did a gym session just before I hopped on the phone with you and um no the main thing is is um yeah like trying to lift heavy trying to lift heavy so for instance if I'm at a gym I were doing heavy squats like a variety of different types of squats or things like that um uh, with my legs to um generate power um so it might be if full squat um was as like pr- pretty full squat, not not quite full because I don't have the range in my hips to kind of get onto the ground or close to the ground. But I might be lifting, doing a half squat, say lifting 100 kilos, maybe doing a quarter squat, lifting 150 kilos, but not too many reps. Um, here, um, I just I get Jen on my shoulders. Um, and she's obviously not too heavy because she's a distance runner, but um, I'll get her on my shoulders and and. Yeah, squat down pretty low to the ground, like a full squat, and then really explode up to try to get power. So it looks a bit funny when she's on my shoulders, but um, I think a, a mistake that a lot of distance runners do, they think you should just lift light and lots of reps, but that's what we pretty much do when we're running. Like the force that you put um, into the ground and when you're just going out for an hour run, like it, it's a lot. So if you were just going to do um, – you know, five by 10 squats with 20 kilos or 10 kilos in either hand. Um, I just probably wouldn't really do anything. You may as well just go for another run. But so that's why when I, when I do step into the gym, um, I just make sure things are really heavy and, and low reps, um, to, to kind of do something that I'm, I'm not really touching on in any other part of my training. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then, then you know, every day I'm doing like glute activation stuff. So I'm obviously not lifting heavy weights, but I got the therabands out and um, just doing things to just work on all the little small muscles in my butt to try and just stabilize uh, myself every time I land. Um, every time, yeah, I make sure my stride is as is, um, sturdy as possible. Yeah, sure, man. So when you're in the the gym, you said you're, you're lifting quite heavy weights and lower reps. Like, how many different exercises are you trying to smash out in a in your average gym session? Are you doing two? Did you say you're doing two or three days a week of, of two, heavy yeah, lifting? Yeah, two two heavy lifting a week. So I just make sure I do something on my calves, uh, two exercises on my hamstrings, uh, two two lifting exercises, and then something that's like um, at the, something at the start involving jumping, like. Um, whether it be like really, really high, powerful skips or um, just jumping um, from like a small box onto the ground then back onto, an, onto, onto another box like that, uh, just, just things like that. Um, I pretty much write my own programs just because it's probably it's too hard to have a, 
a gym coach when we're, we're always in different environments and the gym coach is never really it, – it's okay if you're a sprinter and you stay in one place all around the year and you can constantly go to that, that gym. But like right now I'm in, I'm in Foster. Most of the year I'm in Melbourne or London. Then I'm at Falls Creek or we go to an altitude camp in Spain. There's just so many different gyms with different – setups and i've just found it too too difficult to have a, a strength coach and when they don't really know um what you're dealing with so uh thankfully i've been around a lot and i, I know um i think i have a pretty good idea of the strength stuff i need uh to, to get powerful and also with me because i'm a bit older and i have had a lot of injuries if i kind of uh do exercises that are a bit too exotic or like for instance if I do squats that are too deep my right knee tendon that I've had problems with for like seven years that'll flare up or um, if I do too aggressive jumps my Achilles will flare up um, things like that so that's why I think I am my own best coach just because I know what my body can handle and, and what it can't yeah it's a good point man like after after as many years of running as as what you've done and, and even what I've done it's you do you start to get a real good taste of of what you can handle especially it's funny now like I know you're working along with Nick but as you as you get older it's one of those things you could almost you can almost write your program it's just it's I don't know uh, like with with Nick is he is he writing programs for you now or is he almost just like that that voice in your your corner you know just pointing you in the right direction for like a third party unemotional opinion on where you're at and what needs to be changed. Uh, what what role does Nick play for you now? Uh, the same as he always has. Um, he's obviously still my coach, and um, he there would never be. It'd be rare to have a have a, a period in the year where he doesn't know what training I'm doing. But I do enjoy. Um, over the past few years, there's been periods like if I've had a small niggle and I've had to step away from the group, and um, I've had to you know, come back on my own. Like I, I do kind of set those, uh, that bit of training myself because obviously Nick trusts me. He knows how I, he knows that I know how to get fit now. And um, say I'm, you know, at the end of 2017, I had a, my navicular flared up a little bit and um, I felt that I needed, um, it, was a, it was only a minor hot spot, so I didn't need much. I just felt like I needed two weeks off and then, I felt like I needed a couple of weeks of jogging, then a couple of weeks of some threshold work and then starting some stuff like that. And Nick just said to me, look, Ryan, you know I can't feel your foot. You know what you need. I trust you that you'll, when we go to Falls Creek in November 10 or something like that, um, you'll be ready to train with the boys. Um, so, yeah, I just yeah designed kind of my own program based on how my foot fell and how long long time I needed off. And obviously, if the athlete's younger, um, you know, Nick would need to step in more and make sure they're, they're doing um, – he's kind of overseeing everything. But, you know, I am a bit older now and, um, you know, I should know my body and I should know what I'm supposed to do. And I see it with other athletes in the group as well, like, Nick will never really say to the uh, the senior athletes, um, you know, what days to du- do their double runs on or um, things like that. It's just kind of um, expected that the athletes will will have learnt what what works for them. And you know, if if they ever need advice, Nick will always give them counsel. But uh, once they've been in the group for a few years, you know, if they if they enjoy having an Arvo off on a Wednesday or a Friday, you know, Nick's not going to force them to run. Um, it'll be 
it'll be um, what works uh, best for them. And yeah. I see it all the time with, say, um, Genevieve as well. She like she doesn't run that much. She only runs like max 110K a week because she's um, got a, an Achilles that she's always uh, managing. It's like it's in a pretty good place right now, but um, it is a bad Achilles. So um, she's limited by how much she can run. And she does, you know, sometimes five hours of, of pool running a week to supplement. And, you know, Nick doesn't even need to speak to her and, and tell her the cross training that she should be doing. It's just expected. You know, he just knows that as a 30-year-old, um, you know, two-time Olympic finalist, two-time world championship finalist, that she, she's going to know what she needs to do and, and she does. Yeah, beautiful. It's interesting to hear you say that when you feel something flare up, you'll you'll pretty much just know if you need a couple of weeks off and then just work your way back into jogging because I'm not sure what you were like when you were younger. And uh, I know you mentioned that you had some teams and stuff that you were constantly trying to make, which put the pressure on you to potentially run through some more niggly points. But uh, that's one thing that I constantly notice, man, just the, uh, the amount of trouble that people have trying to uh, just – hold back on their training it's such a it's such a funny sport isn't it because we're so committed and we're so ocd when it comes to that improvement but i think so often we we're so committed to improvement that we forget that sometimes improvement means hey having a couple of weeks away from the track so was that something that uh was that something that you sort of had to learn the hard way that a couple of weeks off was actually beneficial to you long term or were you pretty good at just going from the get-go all right uh this pain's come on it's time to have some time off because it's hard to to make that that committed effort to be able to say, I'm going to have to have some time away for short-term pain, long-term gain. All right, that was Ryan Gregson. The next little snippet on here is Brett Robinson and I speaking about his uh, nutrition going into a marathon and what it looks like as he finishes the marathon and gets ready for his training to come. But yeah, yeah, for for me on the carb side, I try to have – about 70 carbs an hour, grams of carbs an hour. 70 grams of carbs an hour, okay. And so that's from like when the gun the gun goes, like even that first 5K, you'll have Morton yeah. and yeah. Morton's in your water. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And that's all the way through to the finish line. All so right. your last drink's at 40K? Would you, would yeah, you touch that 40? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, I would like to have it at 40. It's like sometimes you get a bit delirious by that stage. I think both marathons I've missed my 40K one because I haven't been concentrating or, yeah. Yeah, and what is it about Morton's? Because I've noticed a lot of people have started speaking about that. Endura used to, I think when I was running, yeah. that was sort of the like the more popular kind of supplement or sports energy drink or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, so Morton's like this thing that came around a couple of years ago um, and Kipchoge uses it and it kind of, that's what maybe I guess made it more famous. But it, it's this new technology they use where it's supposed to be better on your stomach. Um, so it causes less upset stomachs which is like one of the biggest problems especially for me um because i've had problems with stitches in the past so i want something that's easy on my stomach when i'm running fast and trying to drink yeah how do you find it because i know a lot of a lot of athletes talk about just your general gels uh they like they're quite heavy in your yeah stomach. are you are you practicing like it sounds like you've probably had a fair bit of practice now yeah. but are you practicing on getting those gels down during your training sessions yeah. and things like that 43k session that you were telling me about yeah i'll be having one every uh so I'll usually have like someone on the bike with me and I'll have a drink or a gel every 5K um, during yeah. it. So like I, it's, it's like a race. Um, yeah, so I practice what I do there. And then, and then 
During, yeah, during training. So in, in those marathon sessions, I'm drinking pretty much every 15 to 20 minutes and then during my long runs. I usually wait until about hour 40 and then I'll have one every 20 minutes. Oh, so, okay. So during, that's another question I was actually going to ask you. So during your training runs, um, yeah, you wait till the hour 40. Yeah, I just feel like in, in I don't know if that's right. That's just my thing that I, I just wait because when I'm doing a long run and like I might like shuffle out the first 20 minutes, I'm like, I don't really need, I like I probably haven't burned any carbs yet. So it's like I've probably put my body under a little bit of stress and probably my like stomach under a little bit of stress before I start taking it in just to make it maybe, I don't know, train it a little bit better like the race. Maybe. I'm not yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Has, there, has there been any like massive learning curves that you've taken just in the few marathons that you've done where you're like, oh, wow, like, okay, I, I really need to just take a mental note and not do that again or, or really need to do that again? Uh, yeah. So in my first one, I when I was training for it, I remember I did a session and I just like grabbed the drink and probably had maybe, I don't know, 150, 200 mils. And I just like put it all down my throat, drunk it, chucked the bottle. Like I did it in about 10 seconds. And I'm like, yep, good. And about like, <laughs> like five minutes later, I was like, got a stitch. And I'm like, and I like spoke to some people. They're like, what are you doing? Like, like <laughs> take your time. And then I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, I just thought it was like, just get it down. And then I went and watched um, some marathons and watched people and they, some people take a K to drink it. Yeah. So, so that's what I do. I drink it when I, if I have the drink um, or even the gel, I'll do it pretty slow. So just like kind of do it over a K, um, over the, yeah, three minutes and just make sure it's like getting down nice on my yeah. stomach. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause I've had that same experience where you, yeah. especially if you have like, I've, I've already taken mental notes for my marathon this year, but, um, but especially if you have waited too long, I think I waited till maybe like a, I think, well, I think I had my first drink, which was, but I was just taking what was on the table, just water yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think I had that at 10K and it was just like, uh, I was just smashing it down. Yeah. But um, this could be a ridiculous question because you're obviously sweating so much during your run, but do you ever feel like like every 5K, that amount of water, like, do you need to go to the toilet or is that purely just replacing the... Yeah, I've never, I, I didn't feel like I needed to in any of mine. So I guess I must be sweating it out or... Um... But yeah, like, and, and my marathon's always been fairly cold, like maybe 10, 10, 12 degrees. So I don't know. I don't think I'm drinking enough maybe to feel like I have to go to the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. And do you feel like the, um, is the, is the marathon preparation a lot different to your half marathon preparation or in, in terms of how you structure that, uh, that 10 week, um, that training block before the race, like how, how different are those two from each other? Yeah. Um, so, uh, half marathon training for me and my group is, I'd say more, that's more our general training. Um, I think we train, we build a big base of fitness and, and that's kind of like, I'd say Nick's um, theory behind training. Um, so yeah, it's just like normal like eight by K and then I'll do a 12 K threshold um, on a Thursday and then like a hilly hard run on a, on a sad day and a good long run on a Sunday. Um, but like nothing's like extreme. And so even the 1500 meter guys do that as well. So, mm-hmm. but that's what I was doing before. Um, I like I ran a good half marathon. So, but then yeah, obviously when I get into the marathon, that everything just kind of like. It, so I'd say the yeah the Thursday, Saturday, Sunday all get boosted. But then my other days, I spend way more time thinking about recovery. So I, if I go out for a run on a Monday, like after doing a hard long run on a Sunday, and I feel like absolutely like shit, I'll just be like you know what, I'm just going to run 50 minutes. I'm going to run 45 minutes, and I'll just cut it back mm-hmm. if if I need and run as slow as possible. Um. I, yeah, you just don't, I just stay away from getting too deep in a hole in marathon training and making sure I'm good for those 
marathon sessions. Yeah. Do you have any sort of uh, like warning signals that light up in like whether it's through pain and needles or just through tiredness that if you're experiencing those in marathon preparation, you're like, oh, okay, like this, I need to adjust my, my how much I'm training or how hard or, or the recovery and things mm. that I'm doing? Usually for me, it comes like I'll just have a shocking session where like I'll be like feel like I'm feeling okay and then just one day like it look like a completely different athlete like <laughs> um yeah so and then usually if that happens um the next day instead of running say 60 30 I'll just be like right, I'm just gonna run 30 minutes in the morning 30 minutes in the evening or 30 minutes in the morning have the afternoon off and just really try to reset my body and like get good food and get enough fuel and get going again so yeah. but yeah it's just I just you're obviously going to get really tired in marathon training but you just don't want to get so deep in a hole that you can't get out of it yeah sure and uh, for you like it, it comes in the form of a, a really bad session that when you realize okay you've probably you've probably pushed the red line a little bit yeah. too hard yeah all right just back it off just yeah. for a day or two and see how you respond to that yeah yeah even like so I ran this 10k well this is just in normal training but I ran this 10k two weeks ago and I came to training on the Tuesday and I felt like on the Monday I felt fine and then on the Tuesday I was just like training I was just terrible like I just couldn't keep up and do things that I could usually do like it wasn't even close to that um so then yeah Nick's just like just run really really easy tomorrow like so I think I just ran a 50 minutes just real slow and then he's like if you need Thursday um like let me know but like I was by Thursday I was fine and I was good again so sometimes it just you just need it it could be mentally as well that because you've got up for a race or got up for got up for a hard session and then it it's, can take a toll on you and sometimes you just need to have that down day. Yeah, you can just start burying yourself yeah. a little bit. Um, before we do veer too far off off topic, so once you've finished that actual marathon race, it's done, um, mm. you've finished, uh, like talk us through what the next sort of 24 to 48 hours looks like in terms of is there any process that you take with, with getting nutrients in straight <laughs> after the race or it's just like, all right, we're done. Yeah, it's probably just start drinking beers. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was a good little chat with Brett Robinson on the Bonus Members Podcast. So get access to that now by becoming a member. Next one, we're doing a slight change of pace. I'm not an athlete who's coming up now, but exercise physiologist John Quinn, highly regarded on injury prevention and technical issues in the running world. Uh, this is us speaking about the little changes in technique and muscular imbalances which can lead to injuries. He's a, he's a brilliant man, and uh, this was a 60-minute podcast. That's a highly, highly regarded bloke and really fun guy to talk to so uh, i hope you enjoy this little snippet if i've got my using the analogy of a car again if i've got my car and i'm driving along and it's got a wheel imbalance it may be imperceptible at 60 kilometers an hour but when i get up to 80 it starts to get a little bit of a shake if i get up to 100 it's shaking even more well i look at that i can look at my 100 meter sprinters and you can see where these muscular imbalances are impacting on their performance and invariably will lead to an injury. It may not be quite as obvious to, say, a half marathoner or an ultra-endurance athlete, but those imbalances are still there. And over time, the consequence is going to be, if not the same, it's probably going to be greater. It'll wear down. It may be not quite as obvious, but they're still there. So what you can learn from your Formula One athlete is how can we move better? How can we be more efficient in the way that we move? 
And that invariably comes, in my experience, to looking at muscular imbalance in the body and getting that balanced and sorted out, getting the synergy between upper and lower, left to right, and getting that balance right. It's not just about putting one foot in front of the other. It's about putting in front of the other with precision. That's how I would see distance runners. Yeah, sure. So these imbalances that come up, is this just through misuse over time where um, your foot landing in a particular way has just overdeveloped a particular muscle and slightly you know, thrown out the alignment? Or is this shoes or genetics or all of the it's above? Like where all, all of the above. All of the above. So it can be genetics. I mean, uh, you know, I've, I've got a couple of athletes in my squad that are African. So they seem to have a, a pelvis that's tilted forward and to tilt the pelvis. Well, you're not going to change it in terms of genetics, and that's actually part of the reason I believe they run so that way. But genetic has a role in their movement. Um, it, likewise, with you know your bone length is going to uh, impact on how you bone move. That's just genetics. However, if you were playing soccer when you were a 14 year old and you got tackled, side tackled, and it hit your knee, and you didn't rehabilitate that properly, you may have recovered from the injury, but you're going to carry that. Uh, change in gait and you move forward. And to re- if that's leading to injuries, then you have to go back and rehabilitate that injury and then pick it back up. But I, I just, this thing about, I, I've been involved with the study of hydration now for many years. And when you look at the human body, we're predominantly made up of water. Now, if a drop of rain falls out of the sky and lands on the side of a hill, the law of gravity tells me that drop of water is going to go down the hill. If there's a great big rock there, it's either going to go around that rock, over the rock, or through the rock. And invariably, it'll go around the rock. And if you're ever in a plane and you look out and you can see the ground below, you'll see how nature has carved the river and how it just flows and it follows the path of least resistance. That's the law of nature. Well, we are predominantly water. And if you've got an injury, let's call it a rock, then your body will follow the path of least resistance. It doesn't care about whether you look like a, a, a technical model for movement. All it's worried about is you want to get from point A to point B. And if you've got tightness in your low back or glute, and it means that you've got to move your leg in a certain manner to facilitate forward movement, then so be it. Let's just follow the path of least resistance. If you keep doing that over time, then that becomes your pattern. That becomes your riverbed that you're looking at out of the plane when you're when you're travelling, so yes, it, it becomes your pattern. That becomes your trademark, if you like, your technical model. But I believe that you can change that, and I believe that you can. The sooner you can address it, the better. And if people have injuries, no matter how small or insignificant that injury might be, you must rehabilitate that properly. Not just get over the initial injury, the uh, the scarring and the the tear, if you like but also make sure you get your movement mechanics back in and take your time. Don't rush back into the injury. Get the movement patterns right because if you don't, you know, you'll learn the lesson the hard way because the other injuries the other injuries will manifest. Mm, sure. So, uh, I, I, Quinn, like any distance running audience of you know over a few hundred people, I, I know there'd be plenty of people listening to this who... Uh, the message of imbalance is probably striking a chord because they've constantly dealt with, you know, injuries and niggles and just little pains that are stopping them from moving efficiently or 
even moving at all when it comes to their ability to be able to get out the door and run. So yeah. are, there, are there any, um, uh, apart from pain and apart from, uh, you know, just soreness, are there anything that these people should be looking out for? Is there anything they can look at um, that they might be able to do a little self-assessment to diagnose, okay, well, I clearly need to have some work done to, you know, the way things are operating if I'm going to be able to move forward effectively in the future? Absolutely. You, I, I'll get um, athletes that I'll work with or patients in the clinic to just take a photo of yourself from front on, from side on and back on and have a look at your posture. Now, don't just look at it. You've got to see it and have a look at the alignment of your shoulders. Um, is one shoulder sitting up higher than the other? Now have a look at your arms. Does one arm sit out from the body and the other arm's in front? Is one hand sort of swung around in front? All of these things could be indicators of what's going on with your spine or with your shoulder girdle, uh, what's going on through uh, your core, and that may need work done through there. Have a look at the legs. What sort of development do your legs have compared to your upper body? Are they different? Is your upper body more developed than your lower body or vice versa? Does it need to be balanced? Have a look at the positioning of your feet. Just the very angle that you've got your feet on could indicate that you've got weak glutes. Now, with all of those things, I'd also um, suggest have a look at your injury history. We get so focused sometimes on looking at what is the injury that we've got. So, oh, I've got sore shins. I must have bad shins. So they'll work on their shins over and over, and oh, you've got tight calves. So let's stretch out the calves. But when you get them to... Um, and you'll see that they've got what we call an externally rotated feet. So the feet are going out, out from the body. And what that would may indicate to me is that they've got weakness in their low back and their glutes. So you can massage your calves all you like and ice your shins every day if you want until you address the actual cause of the problem, which I'm suggesting may be low back and glute weakness. You're going to keep getting those shin splints. So don't mix up the symptom with the cause and quite often that can reveal itself if you're able to look at your body imbalances. If you heard the public episode with Liam Adams, man, you'll uh, you'll really love this bonus episode. We go into a whole lot more depth around how he manages his full-time work as a, um, what is he, an electrician with his full-time work as a marathon runner. He's uh, he's just qualified for the Olympics in 2021. He's run two hours 10 for the marathon. Man, this guy's a, he's a gun in the Australian circuit and uh, you're going to be highly motivated. If you're a full-time worker and someone who's trying to train, Get your hands on this episode because he'll uh, he'll show you that what you once thought was impossible is uh, maybe far more possible than you thought. So I hope you enjoy this little snippet with Australian marathon runner Liam Adams. We already touched on a couple of your your big stories and your <laughs> your managing bloody massive work hours with uh, with a massive training load. But is there anything just to get the ball rolling that sort of comes to your head that if someone said to you just straight off the street, "Hey Liam, I've just started running." I've got no idea really what I'm doing. Like, are there a couple of tips that you could give me? Like, what, what kind of stuff would you say to a person in that situation? Are there a few well, key factors? If they've just started running, basically, um, what they want out of running, I guess it could be for re- relaxation, get out there, be active, keep healthy. They want to improve their 5K and yeah. whatever else, or they, they've got an ultimate goal of running a certain t- time. Maybe it's a three-hour marathon some people have 240 as the ultimate goal or whatever um it's basically 
find what you want to achieve out of running and always make it fun. You've always got to make it enjoyable. But um, yeah, try and find that goal um, and then slowly chip towards making that goal. I've always found that that's been the thing which has helped me with my running was chip away at these goals. And as a little kid, I've always kind of yeah, – the, the goals or the dreams were – to try and make an Olympic team or play for Carlton Football Club. And <laughs> I, am. I knew I liked you for a reason. But yeah, I kind of gave up the footy as a as a youngster, and that was, I think that was one of the first sports I gave away um, was the football. Um, You've been good in the footy scene, bloody running to those hard packs. I reckon. Uh, I was kind of pretty small as a kid, um, so wasn't really the like. Greatest with being a skinny, small, little distance <laughs> yeah. runner as a as a footy player. Um, well, I wasn't quite training that much with the running at that time. I was probably doing once or twice a week. I um, decided that when I was maybe thirteen years old, I decided to get a coach and um, yeah, gave away the football pretty pretty quickly because he wanted it was conflicting with my running. Um, training so the nights that I had footy training was the nights I was supposed to be running so <laughs> I had to give that up pretty quickly and then as a as I got older I gave up my baseball and the the boundary umpiring and then the skateboarding too and um, I was just gradually giving up things to try and focus on the running a bit more and try and chip away at that goal of making Australian teams and getting to that Olympics and uh, I think if you've got little goals along the way, say it's to uh, run run to kids in a month's time or so, um, or or next year you might be like, all right, I want to do run for the kids. I want to get this time, or I want to be able to complete the distance. You've just got to chip away at trying to get to that distance or whatever else. So um, have your ultimate goals and just have micro goals to try and get you motivated and get to that ultimate goal. Yeah, that's one thing. I'm glad you brought that up, actually, that ultimate goal, because people would look at yourself and go, oh, man, Liam just ran a two hours 10. Like, oh, I'll never be able to run a two hours 10. Or, yeah. um, and I, I think that perspective of, first of all, you've been doing it for 20 years. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just that consistency that comes through, uh, or, or just, I guess that improvement in performance that comes with consistency yeah. is something that I think, uh, from my experience, a lot of people lose sight of. They think, oh, I've really got to get these results quick and they might load up their body a little bit too fast and yeah. um, have to deal with injury. And then, like you mentioned, that fun fu- that fun part of it might yeah. start to diminish and just the whole idea of getting out the door starts yeah. to get a whole lot more tricky. Yeah, exactly. And I think, well, if you're probably loading up a bit too much and you've got to kind of learn how your body copes with loads and distances and whatever else, what you can and can't get away with. But sometimes you can be running a certain amount of mileage and it's easier than other times. And I think that comes down to enjoyment and whatever else. So if you're enjoying it, then it's easier. Um, if you're struggling in periods, then maybe you've just got to back off the mileage and whatever else and make it enjoyable. Cause if you're running yourself into the ground and yeah. you're making it tough to get out the door, then it's just even harder to get motivated to, to run a goal or, or whatever, and you're finding your training times are going down too. So, and yeah. then you just start stressing about, oh, I'm not going to get my little goal, or I'm struggling, and whatever else. So, um, yeah, I guess arousal level and everything comes into play. So, yeah, yeah always make it fun. Um, 
always try and chip um, chip away at a goal. Yeah, I was gonna. I'm actually glad you brought that up because in the in the main podcast that went out to the public, one of the things that you said was. Uh, it sort of blew my mind when you were talking about how little sleep you sometimes have yeah. <laughs> with the training load and um so it's pretty much just get up go to work come home late yeah. get your run done come home try and wind down yeah. um like for the enjoyment factor for yourself is it is it less about enjoyment for you now because you've got like that ultimate goal in place you're like all right i don't necessarily have to feel like doing this i know what i'm working towards so how do you i was just curious i guess to find out more about what gets you inspired to get out that door when you get home and you're like, oh, mate, I've been up since bloody five o'clock or earlier. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've I found that during this period when I've been working full-time and that, um, that there's periods where you do struggle and you do struggle to get out the door for runs and whatever else. And when you don't have that little goal in sight, it's like, oh, well, I – am I just keeping general fitness right now or am I trying to get fit and try and chip away to get whatever result that you're looking for? And I found that, say, um, what was it? So when I started working, it was during the qualification period, uh, started full-time working as an apprentice, was during the qualification period for the Olympics for Rio. Um, I found that, uh, period pretty easy to transition into yeah. so work I found I've heard stories of other people going straight into to work as a runner like quite a few guys have um, decided all right I'm going to start working full-time and I found that a lot of guys have struggled because once they start working full-time was because they haven't got that little goal to chip towards so I think oh I yeah, no, I won't go there. This got me so curious no, where you're about to go. I, I, I don't know if it's. Uh, I don't know if it's wise to kind of suggest why someone like a Michael Shelley retired, but I kind of feel like he'd hit the pinnacle, like he won one gold at um, Gold Coast Marathon, um, and I'd heard before. Um, Gold Coast that he was going to start working full time. So he he won Gold Coast Marathon, um, the Commonwealth Games Gold Coast Marathon. That is, yeah. Um, and then I think he probably struggled with motivation after that because he didn't set another goal to um, achieve. So or like get into some more racing again yeah. and start getting back into it. I think he got really f- work focused and then just couldn't get get back into the running again after that so all right and what a better way to round it out than with my good mate two-time olympian dave mcneil dave is a a great guy to talk to and a really well thought out bloke on all things running in this little snippet we we speak a bit about mindset and training but the the 75 minute conversation that's available to members goes uh, into a whole heap of detail and a whole heap of issues around running so uh yeah i think you're really going to enjoy this one all right so this is the final little snippet from the members only podcast with dave mcneil yeah, beautiful, man. Now, that's nice. What uh, what did you have on the training schedule this morning? Did you uh, easier day on a Friday? Yeah, just um, I had a threshold run this morning. Oh, so, did you? Okay. Yeah, 10, 10K threshold. Um, yeah, so, yeah, all of Melbourne Track Club's just kind of been on a two-workout-a-week 
program for the moment while we while everyone's everything's kind of on hold and you know there's no racing or anything so um yeah tuesdays have been sort of k reps or fartlek and fridays have been um have been thresholds so so what pace to, what pace do you run a what what's a 10k threshold for yourself what do you what do you hit the stop uh, button at? today i averaged 309s um so like it's 31, been yeah so for the last month wow. it's probably been sitting around 310 per k Ooh. um so, which you know, it's not bad. It's, it's, it's great. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy with where it's at at the moment. It's, you know, I've I've been in I've been in shape where for the same heart rate I've been running 305s comfortably. So I'm kind of conscious that there is some room for improvement there. But um um, it's your your body doesn't really care what pace you're running. It just cares whether you whether you stress how much stress you put it under. And and I'm getting the heart rate up. Trying yeah. to keep it pretty stable and and tick some boxes and um yeah so was that out at Yarra Flats you did that threshold this morning yeah so I've been I've been doing it at Chelsworth Park in Ivanhoe um I a lot of 2017 I did did all my thresholds there um when I was kind of training a lot on my own during my physio degree um and it's it's close close to where I live and um it's basic it's a whole collection of sports ovals um which i've kind of made a 1.8 k loop around so um you know it's not too it's not too um repetitive in terms of laps i did basically five and a half laps of it this this morning um so and it's all on grass that's that's the main reason i do it oh, soft nice. surfaces and, um and uh yeah just bit nicer on my body yeah what, what shoes are you doing those in i caught up with brett robinson a few weeks ago and he showed me some of the shoes in his cupboard at the moment and mate <laughs> nike shoes at the moment look like spaceships to me oh mate they're they're insane they've got so <laughs> many good things going at the moment i um so i've been doing my thresholds in the peg turbos oh yeah um and um i actually i've been using the next like the vaporfly shoes on for my tuesday sessions um partly just because i've had some issues with my my foot over the last six months and they just they're just that bloody cushiony that (laughs) they uh i I can recover a bit better wearing them um but yeah they're kind of my two two sort of workout shoes the the next percents and the peg turbos and then um yeah, the Infinity Reacts and the regular Pegasus have been my day-to-day running shoes. Mm, yeah, that's good. That's good, man. Um, oh, dude, I had a, this is the hardest thing about podcasts is trying to stay focused when you've got a question <laughs> in your this is so this is the the well, guru. I, 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 I must apologise because I I um you know. I think you and I both like going on tangents. <laughs> yeah, if, me if especially. People that like going on tangents, um, then it's uh, yeah, it's very hard to stick to. Oh, a, the problem, no, you're if, if you want to call them a tangent, I, I enjoy where it is you you take them, and I get so enthralled in the story that I get to the end and I go, wait, where am I? What is? <laughs> um, oh, that's what I was going to ask. I was gonna, <laughs> I was going to ask you about the uh, so the, the headspace that comes with the. Um, uh, the, the the no races planned and the I guess the random nature of the next couple of months in terms of how this whole virus is going to pan out can be a, a a hard thing I guess to get your head around when it comes to staying motivated for your training. But that approach that you took or that that 
sort of perspective of this is just bonus training essentially is, yeah. is something that would help you through. But is it? Have you noticed that there's a um, like just a, a, a natural, not lack of motivation, but a little bit like you're a bit happy just to back off a little bit, or are you still quite motivated to hit your sessions and hit your times? And um, I'm certainly very motivated, but for slightly different reasons. I think um, I kind of look at I kind of look at my training as you know when racing starts opening up and and we start sort of training towards doing races. Um, then that then we'll start doing um, sessions that are a bit more physically demanding, and um, I I look at my training at the moment is whenever we get to that point, my ability to um, absorb that that more specific, more intense training um, will be op- more optimized um, if I nail what I'm doing at the moment. Right. So the the goal the goal when I do my Tuesday and Friday sessions is like uh, you know I, I inevitably do hit hit the paces, but it's not what I'm thinking about. I'm I'm literally just thinking, let's get through this session, let's tick the box, um, and let's just create another 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 minuscule layer that just makes my body a little bit more physically resilient. Because mm-hmm. um, I I. I just know that the more weeks and months that I can string together uninterrupted is going to make me more physically um, resilient when when racing does open up and and we start doing probably more intense training. So mm. um, that's kind of yeah. I, I'm I'm very motiv- Like I, I guess my my main motivation at the moment is to stay healthy. Yes, that's that's basically it. So um, so yeah, that's yeah. I guess can't add, add any more to it than no, that. <laughs> that's awesome, man. That's awesome, dude. I'm uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it there. Hit pause, mate. I could talk to you all day. I, I know I say that every time we catch <laughs> up, but it's uh, it's really good. I would love to um, uh, I know a couple of years ago, I think Inside Running did like a, a live podcast of sorts, dude. We should look into that because I reckon a lot of people yeah. in the community would love a chance to to sort of add their own two cents and ask you a few questions yeah. and stuff. In the next, I don't know how long it'll be, but mate, like a. We, if you're interested, we should try and line something up because I reckon it'd be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's um, yeah, let's also maybe do a three-way Skype with um Dano and and just like have a little meeting of meeting of the minds and and um and think about what we want to do. Yeah, no, that sounds great, man. Look forward to it. Mm. Thanks for coming on. That was fun. No, likewise. There we go, guys. There were some snippets from five of the eight podcasts which are available to members. It's constantly growing, as I mentioned. You'll also access the Elite Insight videos, which is a gradually growing library of videos with practical workouts and instruction from Olympians, uh, record Australian record holders, and a whole heap of experts from around the world of distance running to help you improve your journey. As I said at the start, it's uh, it's designed for athletes of all levels. You're never too new or you're never too experienced to get value from this. So it's uh, five bucks a month for the first 100 members and uh, you can join up today at relaxrunning.com slash 
joined. It'd be great to have you on board and I hope to see you on the inside really soon.